Pat, you began your career in Scotland, finished in Scotland, in between your spells at Chelsea, for which you're probably best known, Everton, and then Tranmere, where arguably you played your best football with John Aldridge. When, when were you happiest as a football player? That's a really good question. Um, it's difficult to say. Um, my first season at Clyde when I was a kid, I was 17, I was still a student. So when you're a student, you, you have no fears and no worries, you're just doing it for your pure joy. Um, so I was really happy then, because football was just what I did for a laugh. Um, lucky to get, you know, under 18s and under 19s for Scotland, then under 21s for Scotland. Um, so it was going really well, but so what? You know, it was just a bit of fun. Um, and then the first year at Chelsea, I was lucky to get player of the year. The odd thing I see then when you're, you have no fears, you're, you're very green and naive and everything's possible. I can remember the first year at Clyde, we won, the, we won the league and got promotion. And I got young player of the year in Scotland. And then I got out of Chelsea very quickly and I, we won promotion and I get player of the year. And I thought, yeah, it's going to be easy, this professional <laughs> football art. You know, I have a whole career of just winning things. Got a wee bit more difficult, but um, no, they're all in their different ways really enjoyable. Um, for, I mean, funny enough, my very final year with Kilmarnock, I had a year at Kilmarnock before I joined Motherwell, and I'd just come back up because I wanted to be back, back in my own country. Um, and obviously, there was no money or anything up there, but I just wanted to play in Scotland at the top level, the Premier League up there. And I got the humour again. I'd missed the humour of the Scottish humour of Scottish football players um, and I made friends there that were as close as any friends I made in my entire career. So the whole gamut, you know, right from the start, right to the end, they've all got slightly different ones. Actually, the more interesting question, what was the one I didn't really like? Oh. And I had a hard time at Motherwell, my very last team, because I was player and chief executive at the same time, yeah. which creates a number of problems, I have to say. Um, the biggest problem being time, uh, exhausted, try to do it, you're firefighting all the time, uh, but boy, I learned a lot. They, they were in a bit of a financial mess. They no, they were, well, they weren't at the start, we, we took over it, and, well, I didn't take over the, the buyer came in and bought it, they made a lot of money, and I, he asked me to go and do a study. So my background was economics accounts before I played football, So and I'd been PFA chairman, so, Went in and did a study of it and I just gave them three options, you know, and the third option cost about two million quid a year and he goes, I'll go for that one. And I went, are you mad? And he went for it and we did well for a very short period of time, a couple of years, really well. Um, but then he decided that he didn't want to spend two million quid a year anymore, <laughs> understandably. Mm -hmm. um, to, anyway, it's a long involved story. So that, that was quite stressful and hard. But before then, my whole career had been absolutely lacking in stress yeah. and the reason and I, I would advise this to any young players playing out there if you can try and sort out a way of either avoiding the stress or dealing with it in a good way um, you will be better if you can you do anything be it football be it business be it whatever you do in life if you do it for love and don't do it for fear you'll be better at it yeah. absolutely no doubt about that and part of that is keep that in the forefront of your mind, you know, and that's what I was able to do for 18 out of 19 years. And was football particularly important to you pursuing it as a career? Because I, I think when you left Clyde and went to Chelsea, you did originally because mm. you were do, at university, 
and and weren't didn't seem to be that fussed well, about. No, well, yeah, that that's a, it's a real dichotomy in there. A difficult one to get across all the time. I loved playing football, yeah. and I don't know if there was anyone who loved it more than me. I absolutely adored it so much so that every afternoon back in training for the pure joy of getting better at it and if the creativity was a big thing for me I loved the creativity of it doing it the way I like to do it it was harder in those days to do it because it was a kind of poor game you know you know but I still loved that so the beauty of it the art of it you know it's an odd thing you say I'm allowed to say that in front of Lord Leighton's own house <laughs> um, but that, that's kind of why I did it so Chelsea tried to buy me for a year and I said well no I, it might take the love of it away from me because I'm not doing it because I want to be famous I don't not do it because I want to be really successful. I do it because I want to love doing it. Um, and eventually, for complicated reasons, I said, right, OK, I'll have a two-year go at it with Chelsea. Took a sabbatical from the degree. Um, and it was quite surprising, because once I got down there, I realised, actually, I can still do it for fun. You know, you don't actually have to drop that and do it professionally. Um, and I was lucky it went well for me, you know, right from the start. You know, you see, first season, get player of the year, so goes okay, we win things, good group of players. Um, yeah, got, got a bit lucky and had a lot of fun and realised then, if I wasn't doing this for fun, I was doing it out of fear, I wouldn't be as open in the park, I wouldn't be as comfortable in the park. Um, and I, I figured that out when I was 18. How do you think you'd have coped today with the intense scrutiny, the, the sums of money involved and the... <laughs> You know, people just seem to take the game far too seriously but, and well, then you, everything yeah. you do is being monitored and possibly criticised on, yeah. on Twitter or Facebook, wherever. You know. oh, I don't get that myself anyway, doing this job I do. I'm in the media quite a lot, you know, and you get the madness of Twitter, which I don't care for. I, I can't be bothered. There's better and wider things to do now. There's more in interesting ways to have debates and conversations and learning than just through Twitter, you know. So, you know, I think you can decide where you want to go. Um, you, if you want to be part of that game, that media game, like, if you want to do a Beckham, do yeah. a Beckham. If you want to say, I don't, I've never sold anything, you know. So I'm, I'm not part of the game, and I never was part of the game. I don't think I would be part of the game of media, um, selling myself, selling my image, because I've never really done it. And I've never done it at that time. Whereas you seem to think, well, other people seem to think, you have to do that. And before. You don't. It's plenty of look, have a look around football. Schools did, did quite well, did they not? Never selling their personality, just going and playing generally. It can be done. But if, like you, Scholes was a regular sort of, say, gig goer, an occasional mm. DJ, and mm. uh, had his fingers in lots of other pies, he, he would have struggled to avoid uh, yeah the, I, th the I, know, no, I, I think it, oddly enough generally you it is a wee bit harder now I'm not lying but I wouldn't lie to you it would be much much harder now you tend to find most of the people you meet if you're a pretty normalish bloke they're alright with you you know and I was at a gig last night in Edinburgh and I never heard one negative word you know and it was fine it was absolutely great they see me in television a lot up in Scotland they didn't seem to have a go you know, there will be the odd idiot, but you'll get that absolutely everywhere. If you're the ultra-famous one, if you are the Beckham, if you are, you know, the really, really top-level ones, then you will, that will be a difficulty to live a normal life. But 
That would be the same if you're a pop star. That mm. would be the same if you're a prime minister. You know, at the top echelons of most things in the fame world, yet there's something you have to deal with. I do think sometimes they, they play up to it a little bit, you know? You don't actually have to have black window, blacked out windows on your yeah, yeah. Oh, that's fancy a car. Bear of mine. You know, you don't need to have that. You, you know, and my favourite one is the blacked out windows so you don't get seen. And the but the number player, <laughs> killer. <laughs> yeah, please, no, no pictures, no pictures, <laughs> but, but get my good side. <laughs> so I, I think we have to keep that in, in check as well. The fact that, yes, we live in a celebrity obsessed society, but I think the media are clever enough to know who's playing the game and who's not. Mm. I really do. And they um, probably are to some degree as well. As a player, you were renowned for sort of twisting the blood of opposing defenders and, and leaving a trail of them in your wake. How much of that was down to the one-on-one sessions you did with, I believe, your dad yeah. as a kid? Did he, did he teach you, you all the... Yeah, you've, you've done your research well. Um, yes, I lost my dad recently. Oh, sorry um, to hear no, that. And he was a fabulous man. He was, in the end, it was as good as it possibly could be. Um, but he was great up until the night before, having laughs and jokes and all that stuff. But I owe everything to him. Everything I did in my football career was him. Every day after school, I'd come home and he'd be waiting. I would have to wait with my boots for him to come home from work to do dribbling in and out cones. Hour after hour after hour. And do it with your bad feet, your good foot, do it with your eyes closed. So that by the time I'm like nine, I never had to look at the ball. My look at the ball, you know what it is, I can feel it. I could be looking at you and, um, and if you have lived with that and you taught me that and many, many other things, he was very good at, he, he took the ideas, he used to go and watch Celtic train and Jock Steen was training them. I mean, quite a good teacher role model. Um, he'd, he'd read the books by Helena Herrera and people like that. But it was all about the time and the hours. There's also that side of it as well, the hours. The, the 10,000 hours were gone really quickly for me. <laughs> that was really in the bank really quickly. So that skill side of it was kind of, was built into from my dad. So all that side of it, 100% was my dad. Um, what was he? You say you had to wait on for the big. Was he like a, a, a disciplinarian? You know, parents of Serena Williams and no. Tiger. He wasn't like that. No. No, um, I've got three brothers and two sisters. That option was open to all. Um, and my brothers went out and done it for a while, and then did other things. Uh, I just kept going. Yeah. Um, if I said no, I'd go go for it. But he knew I loved playing football and he knew I was wanting to get into teams. He also helped organise the street leagues in the area in the East End of Glasgow. So a real passion and love of football. We'd go and watch Celtic, which was my team at the time, um, as all the family did. So it was a real passion and love for the game developed through my dad. Um, and there's something, if he gives you that, and then by the age of nine, eight or nine, you've got all that behind you, and then you start playing for teams, you're usually going to be quite. Yeah. quite good <laughs> and that gives its own joy of being quite good so that whole side of it and there was great players that I was watching at the time like Jimmy Johnson and things like that Celtic although I was not a winger in those days I can only really became a winger when I went to Celtic, when I went to Chelsea before then I was a different position I believe the, the best goal you ever scored was for Clyde yeah. But the cameras weren't there to, to record it. <laughs> cameras were never there. <laughs> there were never any cameras at Clyde, and there was never cameras. Talk, talk us through it. No, there was a great story about it, because um, I'd been with Clyde for about a year, and uh, there were other teams interested, but again, it was having no real effect on me. I was bothered. Uh, but I knew Celtic had come to see me, 
and Billy McNeil was the manager. And Billy McNeil had let me go. I think it was Billy McNeil. He'd let me go. Um, it's a, a schoolboy, because it wasn't good enough or tall enough or whatever. So I thought, I'm trying to have a good game, but of course it was one of those days, it's rock hard, it's icy, it's, you can't play football. But we had to play the game, we played the game. So anyway, about five minutes ago, after having a stinker, I just thought, I saw that. And I went for a major dribble from my own half and just kept going until I beat everyone and stood in the ball in the line and just tapped it in. And as I ran back, I thought, right, well, at least that'll show. And I looked up to where Billy Mini was sitting. Was being the operative words. <laughs> he had gone. Oh dear. <laughs> and he'd missed it. And I'd done it all for that moment. But there was a good thing that came out of that. Because uh, my dad had said, you should do that every game. I said, well, I may struggle, people may get the ball off, and you go, no, I have won every game. And we came to this agreement, my dad and I, that every game in my career that he came to see, which was out of 800-ish games, he'd probably seen, it, seen about 760, 750. You know, out of all those games, there was one moment that I would go on amazing for the pure joy of it. And it became the signature of me saying hello to him. Right. So he'd done Chelsea, and he'd get the train down, you know, get to the ground at about one or two o'clock. I wouldn't be able to see him because I'd be preparing for the game. He'd have to leave five minutes before the end to catch the last train to Glasgow. Um, but during that Maisie dribble, I'd do this Maisie, Maisie, Maisie dribble, and he was going, oh. <laughs> So we had a kind of code, uh, mm. which I kind of liked. And it kind of worked sometimes as well. Um, he instilled all those skills in you. Did, is it a source of concern for you when you watch football today that the home countries, and I'm including my own Ireland in this, mm -hmm. don't seem to be producing those kinds of players anymore. It's hard. It's really hard to do it because... Um, how, how much of it, in your opinion, you can only guess, I suppose, is it down to application and how much is down to just natural talent? Um, mostly application. So, uh, the mayor people say, oh, you were a natural, you were... Mm, don't think so. You, you might have the natural size for it, you might, you know, have quite lithe limbs. You might have a. The vision isn't natural. That, that is, is more natural. You either do or don't have that. I would reckon the pure skill on the ball. That's something you absolutely just work for. That's the that's the hours. That 100% that's the hours. Not 100%, but nearly 100% that's the hours. Um, I think the kids do spend a lot of time. Um, but I remember working with Andy Oxford for years, and he was trying to instill street football because he knew it was we were losing it. He had tried to instill the concept of street football within the training regimes. And his heart was so much in the right place, and I kept on thinking, yeah, but you're teaching them all to do exactly the same things. Mm. And they need to do it within a less structured environment. Because you go and watch any training session at any academy, and every kid can do four stepovers. No, no, do a stepover and go buy a guy. That's much more, <laughs> more important <laughs> than four stepovers. Or drag a ball back and create space and pull people towards you, having done the step-overs. But everyone can do these lovely, tri clever tricks. Don't get you by anyone, because other mates are doing it as well, and other guys are doing it again, so I see it. So you have to do it with a reason. Um, and maybe if I had one slight problematic area with the academy systems, um, if you're going to try and develop that type of player, um, or a player who has that within his armory, much more importantly, um, I think it's really, really important that you get people that kind of did it before. It would be helpful, as opposed yeah. to people who just structure the same things time and time again. Because then it's just a factory, yeah. you know? And I, think, I don't think it gives you anything different. It just gives you more of the same. 
there are, you can't name them, I wouldn't want to name them, but there are players even playing for your own country who are great at that step over. Yeah. And then you think, yeah, well, we'll do something else now, you know? So that maybe I've got a slight... Would, if would, I've got would, a would any of these players you mentioned possibly be from your own uh, nation I don't like having a dig at anyone <laughs> at all. They all have their own skills and their own Hello, talents. Uh. <laughs> but, you know, it's, and it's not an abuse of it, but you, you have to, and the other thing is you have to keep on learning as you go on in the game of football. Don't stop that learning. When you, remember my first two years in, down here, I thought, right, well, I have completely and utterly restructured it now. Because they're doing that now. They know what I'm trying to do now. So I have to restructure something completely different, which then became a different game, which then became drawing a whole bunch of players towards you so that you got the players around beyond you and you could flick it in. You never got the credit. People go, oh, you don't go in those mazy dribbles anymore. And you're thinking, yeah, but I did drag four people towards me there and flick the ball and we scored. <laughs> now, the classic example is um, Hazard at the weekend. I don't know if you saw Hazard yeah. at the weekend. And... He's going through and goal um, against Stoke. And I'd say it's a 75 to 8% chance he scores that, right? He didn't shoot. He drew the keeper and he drew the defender and he flicked it wide and Remy gets a 99.9% score chance. And that's where Hazard, that's why I adore Hazard so much. He can do all that dribble stuff as well, but he also knows you're going to get thumped a lot. You're going to get crowded all the time you better have some plan B's and plan C's up your sleeve. And he's got them. Yeah. And he's bringing them in. And just sitting watching the guy, watching him adapt and thinking, I mean, I do quite a bit for Chelsea TV and I was doing analysis on him in the first couple of years. And I could see the mistakes he was, obviously I played in the same position, I knew the mistakes. Like one of these big mistakes was, he'd get the ball, he'd dummy, beat the guy and wait for the hit. You're thinking, what are you doing? They're going to kick you. It doesn't matter if you get a foul or not, you've got a foul. They've stopped you. They won. Yeah. And you turn around and arms go up. No, that's not what it's about. Beat them. Explode away. You've not beaten them unless you're away. And it was a wrong period of time. I just thought, you stop doing that. Don't get the ball and stop. Get the ball, then move, then go. And, and it's been brilliant to watch every single one of the little tweaks that had to be made. He's just making them. He's just ticking them off. I don't know who's telling them. He's probably just learning it. Yeah. But if, he's just ticking them off one at a time, one at a time, one at a time, and I'm looking at them thinking, you're getting it all now, mate. You're absolutely getting it all. And back see, to that one, well, see that running with the ball and never looking? Have a look at him. Yeah. He's not looking there. He doesn't need to look there. Even with his penalty kicks, he never looks at the ball when he takes a penalty kick, he looks at the keeper. So it's, it's a skill, that's a skill you should really, it would be really nice to learn. The real, the NES does, they don't look at the ball. They don't need to. You know what it is? The Messies and the, the players of a certain elk don't look at the ball. And that is slightly counter-intuitive, counter in, 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 isn't it? The amount of people say, right, keep your eye on the ball. No. <laughs> you really ought not to keep your eye on the ball. You should be beyond it by the time you get into a professional stage. Nice. Um, so I'm, I'm, can I go off a soapbox now? <laughs> I'm a soapbox moment there. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, you've got 28 caps for Scotland. Um, there's a, an elderly compatriot of, of yours that drinks in my local pub who is of the opinion that you should have had a lot more, but you, it was uh, down to your, your muse that you were 
<laughs> too quick to, to offer an opinion when perhaps mm. an opinion wasn't welcome. Is yeah. that a I fair not, assessment? Not, no, 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 not no, at all. No, not, I was not like that. I was actually very quiet. Um, yeah, it's quite strong. Well, became chairman of the PFA. Um, I think it probably did have a big effect in one part of my career. I, to be honest, now it's long enough gone that I think I could accept that something did bad happen to me because of that, um, which we'll get back onto in a moment. Uh, but with no, no, the, the reason why I get fewer um, cats, I mean, I asked recently. Right. I asked Craig Brown. Uh, um, no, that's a lie. I didn't ask Craig Brown. Craig Brown told me before I asked. He apologised. He said, I'm really sorry. Um, and part of it was, A, we weren't playing with wingers at the time. And I said to Craig, you know I didn't play wing for you. <laughs> I played, you know, a 10 or around that sort of, just basically free. Uh, and he said, no, we, we needed power. We played a 3-5-2 with the five, the wide players were basically full backs. They ran up and down. So when I get a game for Scotland, unless it was against the Minnows, I'm trying to get a game as a striker, and with some good strikers at the time. Um, but he basically said, you know, the game was different then. He felt that the modern game would have suited me better, you know, if you get 4 2 3 1, the 3 behind the 1. Heaven. Yeah. <laughs> For somebody like me, you know, exactly what. And, but you, and he said that was kind of the reason. The reason wasn't lack of ability, the reason wasn't anything else. It was just needed a more power sort of side. And I accepted that, and it, I was just so happy to get any caps at all. Uh, you want to know the time that I hurt, because you're a good journalist, so you're going to ask that question, aren't you? Yeah. By... Well, I'm going to guess <laughs> that it was at Everton, was it? Just after Everton. Just at, yeah, when I leave Everton, I was playing at the peak of my career, at the best I'd played. I was absolutely the strongest I'd been. Everything was right, and not one top club would touch me. The year before, my name was bottom of the ballot paper for strike action as chairman of the PFA. Now, I, you can't prove that that was the case. But I'd gone from a million pound player, which is quite a lot of money in those days, to nobody would touch me in a year. And you think that's why? I don't know if it's the reason why. Uh, it might just I be. mean, football clubs have always shown that if, if a guy can play, they, they will yeah, sign and anyone, they, and, and no matter be, what they think of him And there could a be the fact that I was just, I'd suddenly become rubbish. That could be the case, yes, you could be right. Or the game had changed, and it become more power-dominated, which, maybe, you could be right. Um, but for, funnily enough, I got more caps when I left Everton and went to Tranmere than the rest of my career combined. Yeah. The kind of guess is I was probably all right still. <laughs> so I don't well, know. I don't know. I'm, I'm not actually saying that's the case. I can't, I, can't, I can't stand up and say that's the case. But it has been mentioned to me by a few people. Funny that, eh? <laughs> and I went, I mean, at the time I dismissed it. Yeah. I absolutely dismissed it. And, um, and a number of people years later have said, uh, you know, there might have been something in that. But who knows? So, like most things in life, there's probably a number of reasons why things happen. But hi, it worked in my favour. I had four brilliant years at Tranmere. And I, really, I was back to a manager who said, go out and do it. Mm. Trusted me. Which is great. Um, with like, the Republic of Ireland, say at the moment, Wes Hoolahan, there seems to be a deep mistrust of in certain teams that mm -hmm. say aren't particularly good. Uh, you know, they're all right. So, you know, Scotland, Wales, 
Republic Ireland. Mm -hmm. There seems to be a certain mistrust of, of flair players. Is, is that something that, it's always that affected been a, you? Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. yeah. All the way through your career, yeah. Um, but that's, you got to understand that's a, the, I would say, I don't know about Irish, you'd know more than me. It's a British mentality. You know, it's, Robert Martinez once said something to me, which I found really quite interesting. And I don't, again, it's, it'll be one reason, one concept. He said, we're very different in mainland in Spain. I think of Barcelona, right? Why are we producing all these players? And he said, he said, he thought it was a lot to do with your second game. Right, so what's your second game? In, Scotland, in England, well, it's rugby. Poor possession, bash, crash bang, what? Now, there's lots of skill in rugby, but it's power, it's physical, it's, you know, and there's a lot of long kicks, as well as good passing as well, but it's a physical big game. The second game in Spain is basketball. Mm. You know, <laughs> you can see it, can't you? You can yeah. see Tikataka right there. Now, I think that's a pretty oversimplistic analogy, but I think there, there always has been that backdrop of we like up and at them, thump it in there. I mean, I'm saying nothing about the second games in Ireland at all here, <laughs> which are wonderful games in their own. But boy, well, they well, are perfect. Rugby's a big game in Ireland. Well, rugby, but also... Yeah. Well, know, hurling's a very the, skillful the, the, game, you know. But there's power involved, isn't there? In the Gaelic. In Gaelic football, yeah. Yeah. So, but there's a lot of power there as well. Yeah. So, I mean, and it's not to say it's not skillful, and that's maybe to underline that. But I'm not saying it's not skillful, but that's the point you said when you, you change that, what is the important parts of it. Um, but anyway, that sounds like me making an excuse. I, I managed to get 800 games just about. I've managed to play for the country. I managed to keep going for 19 years. Um, I managed to really enjoy it. Um, what more could I have got? Yeah, maybe. I could have done more. Do I want to blame anyone else for that? No. <laughs> I'd rather look at myself and say, well, do you know what? Had I been messy good enough, they would have played me. They would have bought me. That's the way to look at it. Don't spend your life blaming other people. And I'd like not to do that. Um, but there is that little bit, if you're going to be absolutely brutally honest, the game at the time was quite power dominated. Right. During your career, you had opportunities to go to PSG yeah. and Galatasaray, yeah. and you turned both down, which I found surprising because... Shocked me as well. A, 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 <laughs> you know, you have this reputation as being the renaissance man of football, yeah. and surely, you know, uh, uh, some time in Paris <laughs> would have appealed, or broadening your already wide horizons. Why, why didn't See, you go? This, this upsets me that you know me better than I thought you should. <laughs> yeah, that was why I was going to go to PSG. Um, they were interested. I was leaving Chelsea and you anyway. They, were, they changed their style. One of the coaches has said, classically, if you take more than two touches before you get it in the middle, we're going to sub you. <laughs> Bye. I'm off now. <laughs> this isn't the kind of tick-a-tack of football of the future that I want to see. Um, they just became a long ball too, and I thought, nah, I need to get out of that. Um, and it's this, I hadn't, I've never had an agent, but this agent had come to me uh, and said, look, PSG, would like to see you. And I went, well, left bank, me, off, I'm off, goodbye. <laughs> get French books out, <laughs> polish up in the... the Very no, that, I've been there, sorry. <laughs> no, that was more of a Billy Kate McKenzie thing as opposed to that. Anyway, um, so I, I was all set up. And then just at the last minute, um, Everton called. And, you know, my, my wife-to-be said, 
why are you choosing PSG? Is it football or is it other reasons? It's other. Even at the time, a great side. I knew I was leaving Chelsea anyway, and I just thought, I'll do the professional thing. They were a really good side, really good players. I think I'll have a good time over there. And I went, and um, it was a kind of professional decision. Um, maybe you should follow your heart, but on the other side of it, PSG weren't, weren't much of a team at the right, time. Okay. <laughs> and Everton were. Um, and, and that year we got into the cup final, you know, and I was half of that. scored the winner on the semi, so, you know, in some ways it kind of worked. But, and the other one, the gala one, the gala one was, that was pure, that was awful. I was there. I'd love to win. I went over to Istanbul and met up with them and I was absolutely desperately keen to go. Um, but it was just purely down to family. My mum was unwell at the time. Slight problems with family members and uh, with various things. So family comes first and that was it. Nothing more. Right. So Tranmere or Gala. <laughs> tough, it was a tough one to call at the time. Um, but it was, but I, I had a great time at Tranmere. And as we talk now, we were on the cusp of getting into the Premier League three, four years in a row. We, yeah, playoffs, weren't they? Oh, playoffs. And we were a really good team. And a lot of our players went and got transferred on. In fact, it really annoyed me. It's a... Uh, got back, playing behind me is a boy called Alan Rogers, the left back, and I was worked with him. And he got sold for 3.2 million to the Premier League. I thought, oh, I'll get the next one. A boy called Ian Nolan. Worked with him for a year. Sold for 2.8 or 1.8 million to the Premier League, Sheffield Wednesday, is what was it, team of thinking. I was making these guys look good. <laughs> and, uh, and Jed Brannan got him working behind me and he went to Man City. And I'm beginning to think, what's going on here? And then I got a, I got a phone call one night um, and it was Bolton. And they were in the Premier League at the time and I thought, and, and that's a real consideration to leave Tranmere. Tranmere and Bolton hated each other. So I went home to my wife and I said to my wife, look, Bolton have come in. You know, we're at the top of the championship as it were, first division it was in their bottom of the Premier. You know, if I go to Bolton, they might go down and we might go up. And apart from anything else, I'm really happy here. So I thought about it, my wife and I thought, you know, I'd say to the Bolton people, look, go through the correct methods, because I'm chairman of the union, you know, so you can't do anything sneaky. So, fair enough. So about a week later, the manager called me at his office and said, look, Panther's been a bit. Uh, and I said, before you go any further, I'm not interested. Happy here at Tranmere want to get us to the Premier League. Absolutely love it here and uh, that's all. And he said, you sure? That's a brilliant attitude, Pat, fantastic. No one ever, and I said, I'm different. I said, oh, great, fantastic. And as I was walking out of the office, he said, do you want to know who it was? I went, all oh, right, who was it? <laughs> Celtic. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. And as a Celtic supporter at the time, I was like, <sighs> um, so that wasn't going to happen. Um, but, you know, if it's not for you, it'll not go by, I suppose. Yeah. Um, I don't know if, if you've seen the documentary about the crazy gang um, that was on BT Sport, but it, it painted a picture of a, a bullying culture in the dressing room that certain <laughs> players, John Scales was one of them, really struggled to deal with. Uh, and, you know, with, with your interest in literature and the arts and music and all that, I, I think you might struggle there, possibly. Um, but yeah. how how did you get on in dressing rooms? Ah, your a, career? Were you were you treated as a, a kind of a, an oddball, an outsider, or just one of the lads? Uh, one of the nicknames was Weirdo. <laughs> um, 
I'm more of a curio. There was a guy, I had great, when I was at Chelsea, great mates Colin Pates and uh, Johnny Bumstead called me weirdo. <laughs> but you could tell it was said with a friendly feel about it. Um, there were people who had a Python-esque sense of humour alongside you, so you could mix with them. I have to say, I didn't socialise a lot with footballers right. in my career, really. Um, but that was kind of deliberate. Uh, I just had other interests. Didn't mean I didn't like them, I just had other interests in all sets of friends, whether they'd be musicians or whatever. Um, it's been normal, you know? Um, so that was never... There were times when people would try and never go. You know? Just, even on your own team, squad? Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah? Yeah. I'd laugh at them. You'd, hopefully, you, intellectually, you can outdo a bully. I don't think it's particularly difficult. You know, when you're going through what you're going through as a kid, getting into football. Remember, I'm brought up in the east end of Glasgow, you know, rough, Easter House, rough area in Glasgow. I mean, with three brothers and two sisters who, you know, would take care of each other, but we were all educated, you know. There was no way that we'd fall for a bully. Yeah. You know, we just get lost kind of thing. And there, there was various ways it was, they would try and bully one psychologically, try and bully even your own team. Um, but I just laughed my head off of them because I knew easily by that time that they were 100% they were more fearful of me than I was of them. You know, I, I, a word or a, a phrase to put them down to make them look stupid in front of people, which was not my style, but they wouldn't like that. So it never became a real problem, absolutely not. I'd like to see someone try, yeah. you know, over a sustained period because if they tried, I would just, out them and say it in front of everyone. Just, so why are you doing that? I'm tell you why are you doing that. I'll explain it, come on, everyone's here. You're, big, you're a big man, come on. And just eyeball them and say it. Yeah. You know, what are they going to do, smack you? Well, Doubt it. Graham Saul was a, a protege of yours at mm. Chelsea. Um, he seems to have struggled a bit with it. Well, now and again, Graham did, but Graham's from a very different background from me. Um, Graham and I were great friends, and still are great friends. Um, but me, I come from a rough, of Glasgow games at Channel Islander, you know, and he's a sweet lad. He's a strong character. Strong yeah. lad as a character now. But I think that had to be learned by Graham. You know, and I think football did toughen him up over the years. And there were a couple of times after one or two of the more famous bus stops that were, you know, televised and stuff, I'd chat to him on the phone, just phone him up and say, look, come on. They won that one. Because you reacted. You know. You can't, you couldn't say anything to me that would have me react to you. Um, you could say something to somebody I, I knew or liked, and I'd react on their behalf. That would be different. Um, but you, you couldn't get it out of me because it would almost show a weakness. Um, it's just psychology, isn't it? You know, and Graham, as, as time went by, being an intelligent lad, learned that. But maybe it takes, maybe I'd learned it as a kid growing up in the Easter House a wee bit quicker. Yeah. And that's, is that a good thing or a bad thing? I don't know. Yeah. Do you, I get depressed sometimes. It's the wealth at the disposal of certain young footballers today, they, they seem, it seems wasted on them because they have this stunning lack of imagination. You know, <laughs> They all drive the same cars. They all go on holidays yeah. to the same places. And they all listen to the same kind of music. Uh, do, am I being unfair? That's, that's, or or is, is, am I right? You know, is that's it... not the money, that's always been the case. <laughs> uh, no. Um, 
the wealth is a different thing. Forget the wealth, let's go back to that. Number one is if you're grown up, try and remember who you were when you were 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. You began to find out who you were. The vast majority of us out here, some slightly older, some slightly younger, but for most people, you, you either go to university or you know, are start a new job or start relationships. You begin to find out who you really are within that, and you, you basically mature. You think of what you would be like if, by the way, right, you're now beginning to come who you are. Right, I'm going to stick you in this mad, rarefied atmosphere, right? It's just a bunch of guys, and everyone's going to tell you, great. And everybody is going to love you. And everywhere you walk, you're going to be lauded. Would that not turn most people slightly weird? <laughs> and it does, especially if you have not been blessed with tertiary or higher education, which is what a lot of them haven't done. They ain't stupid. But you're corralled into the one area. And for years, the idea was to corral you, to keep you away from anything else, to make sure that you were channel, tunnel, vision all the time so you can maximise what you're capable of producing. So when I come from a, a very outside world to that and walk into it, I thought, what are you people all about? You think, I'm weird. <laughs> you, you're the weirdest people I've ever met, you know? So I had this kind of real, but I didn't dislike them for it. I came, I understood them really quite quickly. Now that's a, a really big generalisation, not all at that 100%. But there certainly is that, you know, that gripping, that kind of... I know the, the type you're talking about, mm. and, and we all do. And then turning out like that, all similar, isn't really a surprise. Now, when I was chairman of the union, and when I was involved with the union, we tried to make sure that all players get different education courses, and because, you know, for a variety of reasons, and one of them being you might get injured and you're finished. And very few get through anyway. But another one is just to bigger, rounded human beings would probably be better anyway. Um, but the big problem always came to the same thing. You can lead a horse to water. Yeah. If you're not interested, you're not interested. You know, if you're not interested in wider things, you're not. Um, so that's, again, not to say all footballs are thick, not for, but why the old... I mean, I, lots of my friends are musicians. I have more musician friends than I've got football friends, right? But the ones of those who became famous really young are a bit weird as well, <laughs> but in a different way. They're a bit extreme personalities. They are ham to like those extreme personalities, but they are. And if you take that up to the highest echelons of music, I mean, that is mega weird people. And it's not that they were born weird, you know, you give them that early. It's a very, very strange environment to grow up in. And we're all affected by an environment, I believe. Uh, and the money. Uh, if I said to them, I have to, I have to put myself back in the dressing room now, I can't believe you're spending your time, you're throwing all your money in this and that car and that perfectly shaped blonde. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they'd look at me and go, so what are you spending your money on? <laughs> Trekking around Asia, uh, <laughs> uh, first edition books, uh, going to see gigs. Uh, they go, yeah, you're mad. So you have, it's, it's your position, it's where you're looking at it from, is to see who looks the strangest. Yeah. I mean, we had a chat before we started here, you know, if I walk in and I say, by the way, have a look at my phone, who's just texted me? <laughs> that would mean nothing to anybody yes. in the dressing room. But they would think you were weird for having these extremely unusual. So from their point of view, and it's purely perspective, 
And I did learn a lot. Well, I learned a lot for being a footballer, for being inside football. That perspective is everything. Because our perspective of them, and, I'm, and I mean ours, is, wow, well, that's a weird, strange life you're leading there. Their perspective of us is, you did not. Why would you spend your life doing that? Uh. You can flounce about in a Bentley, you know. So, I, if I had that money, if I'd ever earned that, you know, that money, I wouldn't have driven a Bentley. I would have probably still got the battered MGB GT, you know, if I was getting really flashy when I was a kid. Whereas now, I'd, anything can get me to be you know, old, old. Yeah. Um, what do you think you bring to the party in your role as a pundit? And, and do you enjoy it? Love doing the punditry. Um, so many different things. I'm at, you know, five different places in five days just now. Uh, and they're all different types of punditry. Um, my absolute favourite was one that I kind of started doing with Channel 5, which was really in-depth analysis. Um, hopefully using the technology, which has got much, much better over the last number of years. I absolutely love using the technology, but not for the sake of using the technology which I think kind of happens now and again. I have purely one thought in mind when I do punditry, be it a radio broadcast, be it a chat show, be it uh, a game, half-time analysis, full-time analysis, or one of my pieces, which are very in-depth, I do for BBC website. I'm going to try and tell you something you may not know. Right. That's it. Full stop, underline. I may try and do it in a slightly entertaining way, but in actual fact, that's very secondary. I certainly won't be going out just to make my name by saying something controversial. That absolutely puts me to sleep. Yeah. I can, obviously, I've been in the business long enough now to know who's doing it. I think and, we all know yeah, who's so doing it. Yeah, and it's obvious, right? and, mm. it's, and it's, you know, and so, but people love it, good luck to them, but it's not what I do. So, um, I'll tell you a funny story which is really interesting. I went to Channel 5. And I worked for them for about 12, 13 years, and I was working for BBC Scotland TV at the same time doing all this stuff. And I used to go and say, look, got to do a, you know, a pure analysis programme, just pure analysis, you know, because there is so much in it, you can go to such depth, and you can really mine the depths of it, and we've got the technologies coming on, we can do it, and all of our got to see you and your boring technology and analysis. Oh. Yeah, but people, there are people out there who love it, you know, really would be into it, and you let me do, like, 80 seconds or 40 seconds or 30 seconds here and there. But, you know, there are people out there. Football fans aren't thick. I get the brush off, brush off, brush off. Gary Neville starts doing his show. What a great idea. And I'm going, let me try to do that for 15 years. And good on Gary's done it brilliantly. Uh, and others. Um, so that side of it's good. And it's enjoyable. And now and again you do one that... Uh, <laughs> Even gets people on Twitter saying, that's all right. Which is <laughs> <laughs> as good as you can get. Yeah. Um, and I've had a couple that you do and you think, no, I don't think anyone's seen that. Uh, and you can show something. And then you hear it being regurgitated in other areas of the press, you think, that's brilliant. I like, I like that, because that's absolutely, you come up with an, an original creative idea. It's back to that creation again, the love of creation. Is, is it? Difficult. I mean, the, the stuff I thought you were talking about, Eden Hazard earlier, and how he's improved, and you know that that was all sort of revelatory stuff. I hadn't particularly thought mm. of or noticed, but it, 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 is it ever a struggle to come up with stuff? <laughs> yeah. I mean, at the, at the Guardian, we have a, a guy, Michael Cox, who does tactical analysis for us, um, 
and he was tasked with doing it for the uh, Tottenham, uh, was it Burnley game last uh -huh. Saturday? And he just struggled to, to come up with anything of interest. To, you know, he, he admitted in the, in the column, mm. I, I can't, it, this game was so bad that I, I couldn't come up with anything, you know. Oh, no, no, something that I'm, I'm uh, <laughs> beware the, the video with straight lines on it that are connected to each other. You know, you see that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, I can make that look like anything you want, <laughs> right? I can make that look terrible or brilliant, okay. See if it's a game that hasn't got a set pattern, or there aren't set technical things that are happening that are obvious, right? And it quite often these end in nil nil. Or they are really dull games, and it's a bobbly pitch, and it, you know it's a fiery pitch, and it's hard to get a settled system. You then bore into the other sides of it. It's like analysis. Think of the word. What does analysis mean? You're analysing. You're digging down. You're trying to find out beneath it why, right? So don't kind of glazed look at. If you're analysing, don't look at a glazed look. Why is it going wrong? Okay, explain it. Or oh, it might not go down well, that pitch is actually quite bobbly, and that's the reason why they're not passing it neatly. Okay, why are they, what are they not doing? They're not doing that, so what are they trying to do instead of that? Right, why is it not working? Well, he's not going in the right position. You just... I suppose having a slightly mathematical, scientific-type mind, what you do is you peel back a layer, and a layer, and a layer, and you eventually get to the layer. And at the end of that, if there's still nothing particularly interesting, individualise it. Right, okay, look around every single player. Is anything doing anything different here? It's particularly good, particularly different, particularly bad. You know, uh, two players who are working particularly well, particularly badly. It's sometimes hard to see, I'll grant you that. It's sometimes hard to see. But in individual games, I, I will never, ever have a... I can promise you I could watch an under-10s game and I'll give you something. Yeah. That's not a problem. What is harder uh, and much more interesting because it's harder is the more ana analytical pieces I do for you see these BBC website pieces which are really honed and constructed in a different way to show something you might not know. I can't put something in that you've seen on Saturday night or you might see next Saturday night. This has to be completely and utterly, wow, no one's thought of that. That's hard. <laughs> Well, I, I did a piece with Gary Neville and Jamie Carragher earlier this year, and they were saying um, that that's the struggle. By Monday, everything's mm -hmm. been analysed to death, mm -hmm. so they 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 sometimes have to have a struggle to find something new that that no one else has thought of or seen. I've never found that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've never found that because what you do, you th if I was, I, I, I wouldn't dare advise them because they are fabulous at what they do. Well, look what everybody else is saying, see what you disagree with, and then pick that apart. Yeah. How difficult is that? <laughs> to be fair. <laughs> Which do you prefer when you're putting TV or radio? Uh, um, great question. Brilliant question. I mean, obviously TV pays better. Yeah. Uh, no, none of them pay particularly well. Hmm? They don't, none of them pay particularly well. Well, in general, TV pays better than radio, but money not aside... For, not for which, people like me. Right, OK. Um, it pays OK. Um, Again, I'm not particularly financially driven anyway, never have been, but... I always said radio. I always said radio. Um, but there are certain elements. If you've got freedom, and... I mean, I've done it for a long, long time, but television's changing. So I went, I did a game two days ago and worked with a production team who basically didn't think I'd ever worked before. 
So they didn't know anything I'd done before. They didn't know that I would have open top back. I would be able to do various things. Um, and knew the technology probably a lot better than their operator. Yeah. <laughs> and I'd do it, so all that sort of stuff. But they wouldn't know that. I can't walk into them having watched them for the first day and go, right, you're doing that wrong, that wrong, that wrong. I'll do it, right. You kind of can't do that. So when you're in that situation, that's quite restricting. But if you're working with a group who say, all right, we've worked with Pat before, we know he is absolutely, we leave him, and at five minutes before half time, he'll say, time code, time code, I'll give him exact time codes, that, 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 pull that, pull that, pull that together, do a fade in that, do a swoop round in that for the Piero, do that and that, and just go and do that. And I'll be working with a Piero operator or a operator who knows what, how to work at that pace. Now that's fantastic doing that. Nobody knows what, how you've pulled this together in such a short, and you've basically edited a small programme yourself. That's brilliant fun. But I don't get many chances to do it. Yeah. But when I get allowed to do that, that's as, probably as much fun as I get doing it. Because you get half-time or full-time to put something and you go, look at that. And, and that's not the goals, generally. You know, or, you know, or the penalty or the sending off or a punch. It's, not, it's something else. Yeah. You know, and if you can do that and it looks pretty good and it's... And it is quite novel. And the big thing is novel. You can get something that's novel and interesting. Um, and if someone goes, oh, I, I didn't know that. That's, that's the A star when you get that. In the Nobody else knows what I do. <laughs> Nobody else cares. In the space of a week earlier this year, you appeared on Newsnight, co-com the Capital One Cup final, did a DJ set in a nightclub. <laughs> the night before the final, oh, three God. in the morning. Um, gave a speech somewhere. Uh-huh. And, uh, yeah, which is... How did it come to this? This uh, and I, like, Can which, I say, which of them did you do best, and which do you enjoy this sort of eclectic, weird yeah, mix of things eclectic, you do? Eclectic, normal mix. I think. I think right. it's weird. I think it's very normal. I think most of the people I know quite like movies. Most of the people I know quite like music. Yes. Most of the people I know quite like sport. But not many DJs do co-commentaries on a football match and appear in Newsnight in the same week. You know, it's, I'm not saying it's a weird mix because... I know, pe- I Michael Portillo shows on that right but Most people only do one thing well, you know, you I seem to do quite I, a lot of them well. I'm quite average at quite a lot of things, <laughs> I think I could well be it. I'd like to be quite average at just one thing, yeah. that's my, my no, dream. Um, I just have an inquisitive mind, having an interest in a lot of different areas and a lot of different things, and being fortunate to, to be asked to do them. Um, so I have no complaints. I've always had lots of different interests. Um, early on in my career, every journalist asked me just, oh, tell me about your interest in art. Because that was the only interest that they knew about. And then well, they thought, oh, you're into music. You're a mate of John Peel's. Yeah. And that's all they asked about. And then I wouldn't go and tell them all the things I was doing. Yeah. It just when you find, people find out things, and now it's harder, I don't keep them hidden, but now people put things in Facebook or online. So people go, wow, do you do that? And you do that, and you do that. It, it does, people's eyebrows do go up. But that's what I've always kind of been. I've always been a normal gazer who likes doing quite a lot of different things. And they've not been, I've not done them to get on the telly. I've done them because I like doing them. Yeah. So if I go to see a gig somewhere in France because I want to see this band, I'll go if I can afford it and there's a cheap flight. Um, and my wife lets me. 
been the most important part. Um, she not go with you? Something, then again, then again. Some, we do different tastes, we're allowed to have different tastes. You know. She's jealous of me being here today, actually. Uh -huh. She's a fine arts degree student, so it's her degree. Um, I think that makes me really normal. Yeah. Um, there's a slight I'm not saying your tastes are abnormal, I'm saying the fact that you manage to, to do so many different jobs that are to do with things you like doing, that's ah, abnormal. I, you know? I know, probably, I'm just lucky. Yeah. I'm as lucky as, any, as anything. I, there's other things I like to, there's things I like to do, um, which maybe follows on from that. Um, most of the programmes I want to make, I never ever will get to make them. Um, in fact, I, I would why say... Why not? Um, I've taken the ideas and they've just been absolutely, no. Give us an example, can you? Uh, I had this programme with a bunch of musicians. They wanted to talk to me about football. I wanted to talk to them. And you're talking, you know, really, I mean, world-renowned, right? We were all interested in football. And I get a bunch of world-renowned footballers who were interested in music. And I found a format and created it. And did a thing around it and took it to a local um, radio station with all these world, and I mean world famous, the whole world famous man. And then they said, no, no, we've got somebody who won X Factor who's going to do the programme instead and just played songs. And I said, I'm, I'm getting these people for free. They're all doing it for free. It could have been the worst programme in the world. I personally thought it was good the way I structured it, but just those names alone. Right. Um, but not one broadcaster. I took it to two. And the second one, the guy was honest about it and just said, yeah, we'll take it, but we'll steal it and give it to someone else. Thank you for telling me that. <laughs> um, so yeah, there's one. So there's one. Yeah, yeah. So I had these people that I've known through the music industry and through the football industry, and I meshed it and got away for it to work. And uh, they went, no, we're going to use an X Factor star. <laughs> former, not even X Factor, former a few years before star who who does who did this eight week run. And I just thought, yeah, I saw that. Mm. <laughs> and I was like, there are creative things I love to do. Um, yeah, I mentioned the program that I wanted to take regarding the the detailed analysis and make a yeah. program out of it. And I tried for a long time, and no, everyone said it was an idiot. <laughs> and then. Suddenly, it was quite a good idea after all. Yeah. <laughs> so I've got, I've got lots of others, but I can't tell you them now. You just come to us and nick them. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. I never know. I might meet somebody one day doing one of these television programmes who might find out I've got some ideas. I don't, maybe I don't push them enough. It's my fault. That's it. Okay. Um, as far as your, your DJing career has gone, and you've done career. it for years. <laughs> yeah, career. Where is in a, we most like to find you, like in a field in the middle of nowhere, no, in Essex, no, 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 a dingy no. indie club? Or dingy a, indie club for me. Dingy indie club, yeah. okay. No, well. Because I know you were a fan of, you know, all things Manchester at the time. No, before you, that, before that. I was more factory records, kind yeah. of Joy Division, all that sort of stuff. Uh, nothing against the kind of Manchester scene either, but uh, probably more of a kind of Scottish indie stuff at that time. But wide and hopefully quite eclectic. Well, you won't be surprised to hear musical taste as well. Um, but there is a kind of grungy indie scene that 
still exists and there's still a lot of good bands out there so you know it may be a small club in Shoreditch that's playing and the best description so you're, you're about people entertaining the hipsters are you? to some degree oh, there are no. no in actual fact what it is is some people are interested in different styles of music um, the closest make I was a big John Peel fan as well as we became friends um, you used to help him yeah, in his studio, well, sit about write, write, write down some of the, the, the song names and the, the albums and uh, where the payments should go to and things like that. And again, um, it was kind of, and it was good too because he used to say, well, "We've got the famous footballer internet," and of course nobody knew who it was, <laughs> and of course most people, listeners, couldn't care less who it was <laughs> at the time. So yeah, I did, yeah, and got on great with John. Um, some great stories which are far too long to tell you in this. Um, the last time I seen him was a very, very, very special story. It was in his birthday. Um, it's strange. I've, I had to go to this birthday party. I, I didn't know why. And I remember saying to my wife, I'm not in any way flashy, but I don't care what I need to do. I'm going to be there. If I have to hire a little private plane, I'm going to be there. Because I was working the day before and the day after. Anyway, I managed to get a flight down to Luton and Gap and got there and went to, and we had a great night. And John was as best I'd ever seen him. There was none of the nervousness, no shyness, which always was always part of him. Um, and he had a brilliant night, and one of my favourite bands was playing at his party, and it was just so special. And I flew back up, and uh, he died just a few months later. And it was I've never done it before. Uh, after my wife, I remember sitting a week before, it, sitting in the kitchen, with my wife saying, "I don't know why, but I need to go down and see John the weekend." John had parties every fifth year, whatever, right. you know. And you always invite and sometimes you go and sometimes you wouldn't. And this time I just said, I must be there. Yeah. And I've never said it before, never said it since. Um, but it was just, I'm so happy I did, like, because yeah. I've seen him at his best, you know, and everyone, Sheila, they're all brilliant, great friends there. Anyway, he says wistfully looking into the distance. What was the question? DJing where? Um, there's a lot of good little indie clubs, so I'm, I should do enough. That's a festival thing quite soon as well, doing in, uh, which is a diff very different style for the stuff I usually do. It's more of a 90s Manchester thing, um, which I have no idea what I'm going to play yet. <laughs> but, you know, there's good stuff from that period yeah. as well. Um, but anywhere that, you know, that I get asked to do things, and quite often, the three or four clubs in, Lon clubs in London just now have asked me to go around. I'll go to the club for an hour or two, a few weeks, you know, just off my own back and go around while I'm working down here and then see if it kind of suits. And if it suits, I'll phone them up and go, oh, by the way, I'll say, yeah, I'll come down. If it doesn't, I'll just say, no, I'm busy. See, don't, by the way, in DJ career, can I really, you don't I, make any I, money out of this. This is for fun. Yeah, yeah. You, someone's I, I saying was, to you. It was said slightly yeah, tongue-in-cheek. Good. You um, go around and play your favourite music really loud. Yeah. <laughs> it's not to like. 